This Week in Tech. Now's your chance to get caught up on all that's happening in the technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now, here's Gene Destro. This week, how a faulty mobile app put a major crimp in the first presidential primary this year, the Iowa caucuses, new Facebook parental controls, and how augmented reality is going to teach a new generation about the campus demonstration that shocked the nation and helped end the Vietnam War 50 years ago this spring. A new mobile app the Democratic Party decided to use to help streamline their presidential caucuses in Iowa this week didn't work properly, leaving everybody in limbo Monday night wondering who won. Initial reports said it was because of some improper coding, which kept votes from being accurately transmitted to party headquarters. So that meant they had to do it the old-fashioned way and phone them in, which led to a massive delay. CBS technology consultant Larry Maggot. While a smartphone app is certainly a convenient way to report results, there are some major issues when it comes to using smartphone apps on personal phones. For one thing, this particular app was reportedly very difficult to download. And while the Iowa Democratic Party said that there wasn't a hack and that the app didn't go down, the mere fact that they were being used on personal smartphones does raise security questions. Any such app should be highly tested over a period of time, and that includes all aspects of the use of the app, from downloading to installing it to making sure that the data gets where it belongs in a timely manner. Here in Ohio, we do primaries, not caucuses, and the kind of technology we use is completely different. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Well, first of all, because we don't have any of our elections processes connected to the Internet, and so by its very nature, an app is on the internet. It's on a smartphone or device or, or whatever else. We uh, maintain a very strict air gap is the word that we use. An air gap is simply another way of saying that the machines that collect your votes, the machines that tabulate your votes are never connected to the internet. And when it comes time to report uh, the results on election night, uh, that is the, the one time that we cross over from the secure air-gapped and inspected machines over to an internet-connected machine, and that process is very tightly controlled as well to make sure uh, that we don't introduce any kind of problems into the system. Frank, going back to the part where you go from the air-gap when people are voting to when it's transmitted over the internet for the results, let's say there was some supposition or there was some concern. Could you count the votes by hand then if you discounted what you got over the internet? Is there a paper trail that we could go back and we could count the votes old school? 100% yes. And the reason why that's possible is in Ohio, we always require a paper trail. Every ballot, and this goes back a long way. It's remarkable to me that there's still something like 10 states in this country that do not have a paper trail associated with every ballot. But in Ohio, every single ballot is backed up with paper. And if there was a massive technological failure, there would be a true record on paper of the will of the voters. It would take longer. We, we may not have the results immediately, uh, but we could always get that get that done.
And now from security at the ballot box to security at home. Facebook is introducing some new parental controls for its messenger service. CBS's Vicki Barker tells us why. Perhaps as more and more Facebook executives have kids themselves, they're seeing the light on parental controls. Parents will now be able to see their children's chat history on messenger kids, and users will be told what kind of information others can see about them. Facebook's come under fire over its plans to extend end-to-end encryption across all its messaging services services. Child safety advocates had warned that could prevent law enforcement from accessing evidence of child abuse. Vicki Barker, CBS News. If you didn't live in northeastern Ohio on the day National Guard troops killed four students and wounded nine others during the campus protest that many people credit with helping end the Vietnam War, you probably don't remember May 4, 1970, the same way those of us who live near Kent State University actually do. For me, it was just another day when it seemed like everybody I knew was crying, just like they were in the 60s when JFK, Bobby Kennedy, and Martin Luther King got killed. Then, when I actually went to college at Kent State, that memory was never far behind. It followed me as I walked through the parking lot where some of the students died, and when I learned how to be a journalist in a building where there's a sculpture that still has a bullet hole in it from that fateful day back in 1970. It also followed me when I covered the first big story of my career in 1977 and got tear gassed during big demonstrations and mass arrests on campus when the university decided to build a huge gymnasium on some of the land where the events of May 4, 1970 took place. Well, since that time, many more changes have come to the Kent campus, altering the landscape in ways that make it look very different than it did back then. That's why it's so interesting now that by the time the 50th anniversary of that event rolls around this spring, you'll be able to log into a website that will guide you on a tour of today's campus, but will let you view it as it was back in 1970 through the use of augmented reality technology. Kent State University Learning Technologies Professor Rick Furtick. If people are here on campus, what happens is there's a map that uh, walks them to seven hotspot locations. And when they get to that location, they're prompted to hold up their phone. And what they see is they see the current context. And when they're at that hotspot, they see an overlay of what that hotspot would have looked like 50 years ago. So, for instance, as they walk out to the Victory Bell, they hold up their phone. Their camera shows you know, a 360 view of the area. And then as they look at the Victory Bell, it actually provides an overlay. Once that overlay comes up, there's audio that starts telling them about the context, and then there's a bunch of links that they can follow. So, for instance, if they want more contextual information about what happened, for instance, on May 1st leading up to that, if they want interviews of people who were at the event, if they want to see additional pictures, so there's a bunch of resources that they can then get access to. If they're off campus, what we do is, obviously, they don't have the ability to hold up their phone. So each of the hotspots, we have a 360 picture that has been taken, so when they use their web browser to access the site, they will actually see a 360 picture of Kent State's campus today. And as they look around the 360 picture, when they get to, for instance, the hotspot of the Victory Bell, they will actually see what that looked like with an overlay back from 1970. Do I have to enable my camera in order for me to see it? So let's say you wanted to use the app and you came to campus 
you would open up your device and open up a web browser and go to our site. And what would happen is it would immediately prompt you and it would say, we'd like to know your location so that we can help direct you on the tour. And we'd also like to use your camera. And so once you enable both of those, then what happens is a map comes up of the current hotspots that we have on the campus. And we have a suggested directionality for the tour of one through seven, although you might have specific interests that lead you to a certain hotspot. So the map will actually take you to the hotspot. And when you get within range of that hotspot, within a kind of a geo-fenced range, your phone will tell you you're within this range. Go ahead and hold up your phone. And when you hold up your phone, you actually get to see the overlay as well as additional information that appears, such as additional photographs, interviews, audio transcripts, contextual information, prompts to help you think more deeply about the events of May 4th, et cetera. And again, the hope is that probably by March, we'll be able to have, uh, starting in March, have a live feed for the public to be able to explore this, whether they're on campus or whether they're halfway across the world. The challenge for us is how do we take people who, you know, whether they were here but not at the time or whether they have never been to Kent, Ohio, and how do you help them understand something that happened particularly in a context where you take, for instance, the ROTC building, it doesn't exist. So how do you point to it and say, well, this is what it looked like, or this is what the context was? And that's really the cool thing about this technology is being able to take the stories and the audio and the photos and really make them kind of come to life in the overlay of kind of the current setting that we have here. That was Kent State University professor Rick Furtick. He tells us the website should be up and running soon and that you can access it at may4ar.edu. And that's it for now. See you next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news and find more online at wakr.net.